Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The politics of that was begins right now all right joining us now is uh, keith baldry global bc's legislative bureau chief good afternoon keith hi there jazz uh busy week let's start with of course a budget and the throne speech i usually don't see uh, both of those events occurring in the same week you guys are pretty busy over there yeah it was a crazy week and you're right um i don't recall ever a budget and throne speech following one following the other by just two days so yeah throne speech on tuesday budget on thursday and i talked about the budget yesterday um the lines have been set i think for the election the ndp obviously thinks that the public is in a mood for expansive uh, spending from government, expansion of programs. You and I predicted that existing programs would expand and be available to people normally uh, beyond the income bracket uh, to receive these uh, programs. And sure enough, um, the family uh, benefit bonus was given a boost uh, to include people uh, whose incomes are up to 165 uh, $161,000 uh, a year. So again, the the, the old cutoff for, used to be around seventy or 80000 Now it's mm-hmm. you know, doubled, which is a reflection of what uh, Premier Eby said a couple weeks ago, that uh, people earning six-figure incomes up to 200000 are not in a good place because of the huge cost of housing. And then you've got the opposition taking the exact opposite tack, saying this is an outrageously foolish and irresponsible budget that will lead to inflation. So you've got United, BC United and Conservatives on sort of the hawkish balance the books approach versus David Eby and the NDP, open the books and spend money. When does this end? And I don't mean this in a negative way. I'm just amazed that, you know, you and I have been talking about a forecast budget uh, for this fiscal year, $5.9 billion, growing to $7.9 billion in the next fiscal year. You have the overall debt growing from $93 billion to $134 billion by 2026. Now, one could argue where they're building St. Paul's Hospital, the Site C Dam, all those types of things. But when, do you, when does this turn where people go, wait a minute here, finances do matter in your mind? Or are we still a few years away from that? I think we're still a ways from that. I think the pandemic... Um brought everyone into a new frame of mind when it came to government spending and the reliance on government for health. I mean, we basically had a national income program for a couple of years, which had always been talked about, but always seen as utterly um, unattainable. Well, that's what CERB was. Then you throw in the various provincial programs. And the fact that provincial governments and federal governments of all stripes and all countries were running massive deficits, and there was nothing anybody could do about it because the economy literally cratered. I think we're still in that mindset with the public where they still want the government to do stuff and spend money and not necessarily balance the books. And, and you know, the finance minister Katrina Conroy was pretty clear in her remarks to reporters and in the speech, um, basically laying it on the line, saying, no, this is not the time to cut back things. This is the time to expand things. And so that's a fundamental difference of opinion and position and philosophy between this government and the opposition parties that want to challenge it. Hmm. Let's talk uh, just a little bit uh, about the BC Land Act. Uh, you know, Nathan Collins has been on this show and he said, look, we are not giving a small portion of our province uh, 
uh, veto rights in regards to resource development, of course, referring to First Nations communities. But there has been enough uh, uproar and opposition to this, uh, drummed up by uh, the opposition, uh, BC United and um, uh, BC Conservatives, uh, that uh, even First Nations communities were pushing back on the opposition. But the government still had to pull back and say, we're going to, you know, greater consultation. They'll bring back this legislation. Grand Chief Stuart Philp was on this show uh, just recently. He's the president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. And he specifically uh, went went, uh, and challenged Kevin Falcon and John Rustad uh, on their comments and what he believes they're responsible for, which is, of course, this legislation falling apart. I did ask him, would you be willing to work with Mr. Falcon and Mr. Rustad in the future? Here's his comments. Can uh, the First Nations community, and that's a broad community, and I understand not everybody's going to agree on everything, and it's like any other community, but can the First Nations community, do they trust and do they feel they can work with, in your mind, Kevin Falcon and John Rustad moving forward? Uh, quite frankly, the short answer is no, absolutely not. Um, I think they've um, demonstrated that uh, neither of those leaders are fit to form government, given the regressive views they have, uh, which will really undermine uh, the economy and destroy opportunities for the uh, various groups in this province to come together and work together. Keith, your thoughts on what uh, Grand uh, Chief Stuart Phillips said and just this whole BC Land Act uh, controversy. Well, uh, Grand Chief uh, Phillips is not the only First Nations leader calling out the opposition on this and basically accusing them of of catering to racist fears. I mean, we've got Cheryl Casimir with the First Nations Summit political executive says a small cohort of so-called leaders, in her words, used the amendments to, quote, tap into racist fears and beliefs for their own benefits and on the backs of First Nations people. So this is a serious breakdown a relationship, if there ever was one, between Kevin Falcon, BC United, and First Nations, and John Rustin, BC Conservatives, and First Nations. And we talked about this before. They were sort of dancing around this issue, trying to tie the Land Act amendments to the fact that it would give a veto, that word deliberately used, mm-hmm. and tying it basically to UNDRIP. John Cummins, is, uh, John uh, Rustin wants to uh, repeal UNDRIP. And this was all sort of predicted in a way that some of the fears would, would certainly become realized, that UNDRIP would be seen, would be used as a vehicle for those who oppose First Nations um, rights or expansion uh, to play up the fears that it somehow it's tied to a veto, something the government vehemently denies, but there is a constituency out there mm-hmm. that um, backs that view, and particularly in the interior and the North. And I think both the BC United and the Conservatives have made a tactical gambit here that the seats they are competitive in are in those regions. They're not in Burnaby, they're not in Vancouver, necessarily even Surrey. They're in those other outlying regions where this issue is looked upon quite differently than in the urban areas. And it's, you can call it cynical, um, and Chief Philip uses other words to describe this, but I think it's a very deliberate move by the two opposition parties that, that are attacking fairly far right away from um, uh, things like UNDRIP. Kevin Falcon hasn't quite come out and opposed UNDRIP. They voted for it uh, under the, as BC Liberals, but John Rustad is dragging BC United onto his turf. 
not the other way around, and because that's where the United thinks they can win seats. It's interesting. Even on uh, Budget Day, uh, we saw a question period, and, and I recall uh, BC United leader Kevin Falcon uh, uh, questioning the government on why they haven't brought back unvaccinated healthcare workers. Uh, Mr. Rustad's party, and I think it was Bruce Banman who got up and asked the questions, talking about, uh, I guess, uh, some literature that uh, reminds public wor- public sector workers, uh, bureaucrats, that when working in First Nations communities, some First Nations leaders don't view themselves as British Columbians first, but believe believe in their land, that they are the original people of this land. And it's, it was more a, 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 a guidance and reminding people to be sensitive when dealing with First Nations communities. But somehow that his questioning was, you know, why is the NDP saying that we shouldn't be proud to be British Columbians? It's a bit of a silly question if you ask me. But I was just listening to both of them and I go, what has this got to do with everyday needs around health care, uh, and just affordability, housing, the real issues, and they're, they're almost fighting over who's more concerned. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Exactly. I think, first of all, Falcon raising the issue of unvaccinated health workers, which I don't think anyone even talks about anymore, is an indication, I think, they're worried about the seats they hold in the Peace River, which has the lowest, had the most vaccination hesitancy, where there was protest against uh, MLA Mike Bernier's house from, by anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very conservative area of the province, and I think that's an indication that of all days he picks Budget Day when the press gallery is not in the chamber to witness this, uh, to raise that issue. And then the issue about language was actually raised by Ellis Ross, the issue of the language um, guidance for civil servants. Again, um, taking an issue and taking the opposite side of First Nations as, again, I think, a deliberate, deliberate political strategy by both parties. So on the one hand, playing to the those who think uh, not getting vaccinated in healthcare is nothing to worry about, which is a very small number of people, but significant in certain areas of the province. Again, this is just basic regional um, politics. And it's basically another reflection. The real race right now in politics come the next election and things could change. You know, we all know things can change quickly in in politics. But the competition right now is between United and Conservatives over which party is most likely to form opposition rather than actually winning the election. Uh, let's go to Dev in Vancouver. Hi, Dev. Hello. Um, Ellis Ross, BC United MLA, he doesn't strike me as a knuckle-dragging racist. Now, didn't he also have issues with these land act ch- uh, changes? And secondly, now, there are there are so many overlapping claims in this province of BC by First Nations. So what is the mechanism when you have multiple nations claiming jurisdiction over land? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellis you know, Ross is very well respected MLA in, uh, from Skeena. Mm-hmm. Um, commands a lot of respect in the House, justifiably so. He's jumping to federal politics. 
Um, he hasn't been the lead critic on the Land Act changes. But you know, the issue of overlapping claims just is, further illustrates how complicated a situation this is. It's not an easy thing to, to bring off because the caller is quite right. I mean, you do have First Nations who have fundamental disagreements over the same land, and those disagreements go back, you know, centuries, and we're talking a long time. So this is not an easy fix. Uh, this is going to be a hard sell to begin with and a hard thing to implement when it comes to really define what, what does co-managing really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but the onus is on the government, I think, now to come back with some changes of First Nations leader support, but also have the support of communities that are affected by some of this. But I, I think it was inevitable that there was going to be people stirring the pot on this with some inaccurate portrayals and, and deliberately um, explosive language in terms to exploit this. And I, exactly, this is exactly what's happened. All right, let's go to uh, Rob in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Hi, good afternoon, Jazz and Keith. Um, yeah, so this BC Land Act situation, Mike Smith had, uh, I, I think his title, I think he was the regional chief or whatever. Jazz, he asked him, I believe, three times. He pressed them on it. Will there be a veto if this goes through? He talked around it. He would not answer it, this person, okay? This, I think he was the regional chief. Would not answer the question. But it's very interesting to me. John Rustad called out David Eby, said, look, if you want to go to the polls on this issue, drop the writ today. We'll we'll go on this issue. And boy, oh boy, did David back up David Eby and the NDP? They're backing up so fast on this issue, they're tripping over each other. So Rob, I, Rob, I appreciate your call, Rob. I mean, I, I understand from both these callers, it is a contentious issue, but. The government has said, and it's not a veto. I'm, I'm, I think the part of the problem is the government hasn't been able to articulate, and perhaps some First Nations leaders haven't been able to articulate what this actually is, and that's been the core issue from from day one. Because law firms have brought it up as well that deal with First Nations communities and natural this, resource this, companies. This predates um, the Land Act changes. This goes right back to the to the implementation of UNDRIP, where was there a veto? And this has never really been adequately put to bed. I'm not sure it ever will be, particularly in sort of the regional areas of the province. This is not a vote. This is not a ballot box question in Burnaby or West Van or Vancouver or the capital. Uh, but it could be a potential uh, significant ballot box question for many people in the Kootenays, the interior, and the north. And the, I know the NDP, for the first time, think they can win ridings in some of these areas that they haven't won before. And I think this this pullback, this hitting the pause button, is a recognition that those victories, potential wins, might not be possible if this thing was still on the table. Yeah, but it doesn't, as you said rightfully, do you want to form government or not? And it's not a pressing issue in Surrey with uh, 10 seats, or Vancouver, or Burnaby, or Richmond, uh, or Fort Langley, or Abbotsford, or Chilliwack. So, where uh, all the writings are. Where the writings are, or, or in, in the Victoria region. And that's what uh, you know makes you a government, or you're forever going to be a permanent opposition party. So interesting uh, as how, how these things uh, uh, will be moving ahead. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Keith, we've run out of time. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, everyone.